0: listening to the OK's Fisher Podcast, part of the OK's Podcast Network, featuring your hosts, Matt Dry Greg Tuggs. Hey there, welcome back to the OK's Fisher Podcast. I'm joined in the basement with Matt today. We could
1: call it a studio.
0: Okay, kind we'll of. start calling it a studio, not the basement. <laughs>
1: sounds Sounds, better, sounds, sounds it pretty either.
0: ghetto, but <laughs> you know what? The workshop's right around the corner. Call it the workshop. There yeah, we could. There we go. I like it. We have a guest today, not in studio, not in the workshop, but in his own workshop. Mr. Sean Ritter, how are you?
2: Fantastic. I was going to say, you know, looking at you boys, I tell you, it's maybe the masonry shop because there's just a lot of brick.
0: It, it, there's a block... There's a block wall here. Block wall. Yep. Yes. It's a block wall. There's, <laughs> there's a turkey fan, and if I move my fat yeah. head, there's a picture of me <laughs> and my brother with a buck on the ground. Yeah.
1: We might need a little more art, As opposed things. to, yes. Right there. The yeah. the, the
2: tackle shop be- located behind me. So. Yeah,
0: and my tackle shop is around the corner and in a whole lot of boxes. And, yeah. But anyway. And this,
2: by the way, this, this is my pride accomplishment of the last, like, six months. Like, when my wife and I bought the house that, you know, we own – um, in Wauwatosa, the suburb of Milwaukee that we live in, the, kind of the goal was to build one of these. And we've been in this house and owned it for seven and a half years. <laughs> Finally, got around to like put it together. My old shop—a good place to organize and store all of my stuff and make it easy. So yeah, don't, it,
0: it everything takes time. So you got it put together just in time to take it down and sell the house and move somewhere else? <laughs> no, 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 no,
2: no. in the housing market today? Everywhere, oh it doesn't God. matter where you are. It is just. It's, it's ridiculous. It's just, it's like, and we love our neighborhood. We love being walkable to everything. And, I mean, for me, like, hunting and fishing, it sucks. Because 35 minutes in any direction, like, there's nothing remotely close for me. But that's the trade-off of having so much cool stuff, you know, bars, restaurants, and all that stuff right directly close to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got a house that's right up the corner from us. There's already been I don't know eight showings on it. There's an open house tonight. It's going to be gone just like that. And
2: oh, I will yeah. I will tell you in our neighborhood, if a house goes up and a sign is posted, it is immediately sold that same day. That's or not, if there's like an open house that same day, it is completely sold. It, it's crazy. Things aren't even on the market for a day. Yeah, it's wild.
0: But that's that's the market in the world we live in right now. Yeah. So enough about housing. Uh, you're a pretty big kayak fisherman, particularly for bass. You know, I see you doing bass derbies out of your kayak, loving life. How do you get started into that? Like, I've never set foot in a kayak. I've been in plenty of canoes, tipped a few over in my day. I've got a boat. How, 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 what made you decide to jump into a kayak and go bass fishing? Not, not that it doesn't look um. fun.
2: Yeah, no. I, I guess I'll start. I'll go back a little bit more of my backstory, of kind of how I got here, yeah. um, of sorts. Uh, growing up, I grew up in Wisconsin, so having Door County as my back door, I, I've spent so much of my life smallmouth fishing. I absolutely love smallmouth fishing. I was point like even in high school, like when the choice was going out, and hanging out with friends, or playing sports, or whatever, I was like, nah, I'd rather go walk up and down the Fox River and fish for smallmouth. Like I was that kid, like senior year of high school. Taking it, I basically was guiding trips as a high schooler just with friends that wanted to go catch fish. So, I mean, that's kind of where I was, and I fished a lot. Um, started getting into some stuff as a co-angler um, for a little while, and then basically it came down to my wife and I got pregnant with our son. I decided, like, I'm done. I- I'm walking away. I really want to take in that time to focus on being a dad and enjoy those early years because I know that I never gonna get that back. And so, basically, till my son was three – I did no hunting, no fishing, nothing, which is weird. Cause like, I still love bass fishing. The itch was always still there. It's like, Oh, you know, I still like, I I'm the, that guy that watches every Bassmaster tournament. Like I will sit and watch eight hours. nonstop, Like the classic, I think there was maybe uh, an hour and a half of the classic that I didn't watch this year. Like that's how much I, I just, I love bass fishing. But as I thought about really getting back into it, I'm like, I don't really want to deal with the whole co-angler stuff. And this, and so, you know, sometimes you get with, bad boaters you know you get a boater that like i get it's their boat and stuff but you know they really will backdoor you or just kind of just not be great which they can be equally terrible co-anglers like i understand it on both sides of things so i kind of want to do something more of my own and, and i've been watching and seeing a little bit more of the, the kayak fishing and i think with everyone it's like well, that seems interesting but i don't know if i could do that and what if i tip and you know so you start playing those games in yourself and i thought you know i really like this because To, me, to have control over everything myself like i don't have to worry about anyone else this this is me myself just i can't have a voter ruin it for me i as a voter can't run for someone else this is all my decisions this is all on me and so that's when i was like okay i'm really gonna get back into it i was like all right let's do it let's invest let's go on a kayak and that's kind of where i'm at and i've been going uh like three and a half years my th- this is my third season like actually like full fishing and fishing in some tournaments stuff like that so um, the last couple, I've just kind of dabbled a little bit, you know, I did some swing for the fences stuff with some places that I've got a lot of history with last year, but this year is like first full season committed in with the Great Lakes, uh, kayak fishing series. Ultimate goal is to qualify for the Bassmaster kayak classic this year. Cause top five, um, from our state championship, make it the Bassmaster kayak classic. So that's kind of where I'm trying to go. I'd like to get my butt handed to me by, you know, Christine Fisher and, you know, some of those, some of those guys that are awesome, which actually I will to say Todd Martins, who's um, one of the guys in our series that rolls, he might be one of the best kayak anglers in all of the Midwest. Todd is a super talented guy. I mean, he's fished Bassmaster stuff out of his boat, but then he actually jumped into kayak too. And so I think that's kind of, that's a lot of trend where it is going. You look at the, some of the tournaments this year, you know, you've got really basically three major, you know, national trails. You've got the Bassmaster kayak series. You've got the Hobie bass open series. And then you've got the KBF for kayak bass fishing. Um, they all kind of operate and run a little bit differently. Our our league, our series runs basically off of the KBF rules, um, but we obviously have qualifications for both KBF and for Bassmaster that come out of our our tops. But looking at entries, the very first Bassmaster Kayak Series event this year, I mean, you've got Craig Diploma, who is a Bassmaster Elite Series angler, like in, in his boat, he entered and won the kayak tournament. Or don't, he didn't win he plays really i know he fished like right around where todd was um but he's in it mike iconelli won a kayak event and like there's a lot of those guys that are actually starting to get into it and i when i was getting i basically said i think this is the future of fishing because it's so much more approachable and easy to get into like yes the rig that i set up and run and a lot of these guys i mean they're talking upwards of ten thousand dollars for a kayak which you're like well why don't I just buy a boat i understand that But you don't need to do that, and that's just it. I mean, you could literally roll into your local sporting goods store, pick up a $600 sit-on-top kayak, and you could be out fishing and doing the exact same thing. You don't need all the bells and whistles, you know, the fact that you don't have to have, like, a big truck to pull it. You can car-top things. You know, for the last two years, I car-topped my kayak. Now that I got, you know, my new truck, I do actually throw it in the back of the bed with the tailgate extender. But anyone can do it, and that's what's great about kayak fishing. And so that's really where I'm super passionate about it, and about sharing what it's like and trying to get others involved in it because I, think it's the way people have access to the outdoors, whether it's competing or just fishing in general. Look, fishing from the bank is fun, but when you're at the bank, you always want to get out there, right? Then the crazy part is when you're out there, you always want to fish toward the bank. I, I don't get it, but it's just it's a great way to make it accessible. And that's what I love about kayak fishing.
1: I got a question for you. Did you dive right into having a you know? high-end kayak, you know, with all the electronics, uh, stuff like that, or did you start off with a $250 Menard Special?
2: No, I, I, I went all in from the start. Um, I My first season of my kayak, I ran no electronics. I did it bare bones. I basically had my phone with Navionics app, so I could have, you know, just to see where I am, see, you know, lake maps and stuff. That's all I did. But I also wanted to do that to make myself fish by instinct again. Because I think it's too easy when we get like all these electronics and fancy bells and whistles that we kind of rely on too much and forget what instinct can do for you. You know, and remember, this is me kind of really coming back into it after taking like three solid years away. And so I didn't want to like have to rely on technology, which I honestly I think anytime I'm relying on technology, I'm worse. Like I, I actually wrote an article at one point in time that was talking about that. Like I think back in the day when I didn't run any electronics ice fishing, like it was you know, You basically ran off a triangulation of like, okay, if I go between this light post, this tree over here, and that power line, this is my spot, this is where I catch fish, and I catch fish all the time. Then when you start relying on maps and studying maps and trying to find the perfect spot and the flashers and cameras, and it's like, I feel like I don't catch as many fish now as I used to. Maybe just coincidence, but like sometimes I feel like there's that instinct in you that's better than relying on technology.
0: I would agree. Like, There's times where the the only purpose of that piece of electronics is, is giving me or, or helping me with is finding depth, maybe finding temperature of yeah. the surface, you know, um, telling me speed for trolling if I'm trolling for something, you know, other than bass. Obviously, I'm not trolling for bass or bluegills or anything like that. But if I'm just motoring around, that's really a, all it's telling me. And it, it'll tell me that there are fish down there, Maybe. It, it'll tell me bottom content, you know, what it's like, if it's hard bottom, soft bottom, or if there's weeds, if my electronics are good enough. But other than that, I don't know, there's something to be said about being able to just go out on a body of water, keeping it simple, stupid, and handful of good baits that you're confident in and going out and fishing.
1: It could also be like a information overload. You have too much information coming in, and you're struggling to cipher that information to figure that out. So going back to the basics is definitely a good good play on your part
2: and if you don't know what you're looking at that also is just going to overload you more i mean so i run a garmin 93 um sd on my car just the one standard unit down imaging side imaging my mapping with that size screen you know i I basically have my side imaging is like half the screen and then i stack my down and my maps together but when you're looking at the screen and going out like, that's a lot of information going on all over the place. So, like you said, yeah, information overload. That's totally it. So, keeping it simple. If you're not, you know, as versed or as comfortable, that I think is the best way to do it. Because otherwise, you will get overloaded. you what's this? Well, I don't know. Is that fit? what? You know. And if you don't know what you're looking at or what to recognize, you know, especially with side imaging, it can be really confusing. You know, when you first get into that as electronics to be able to read it properly. You know, you're like, oh, why is this black thicker here and not here? And where's it go? Well, why is this lines move? And what does that mean? And I, is is that a fish? Is that a, what, what? You know, until you really spend a lot of time with it. I, I mean, again, when I first got my unit point, my kayak too. That was the other thing. They spent a lot of time less fishing and just graphing and just learning, playing with it, and watching it, and, and trying to figure out what what I'm seeing and how to read it properly. You know, it's like anything; it takes practice. You know, I, mean, I get that. You know, you're going out fishing. And you've got some a tool for fishing, so you think, oh, I, I need to be fishing. Sometimes it's better to just, like, sit back and practice and know your equipment and know what you're doing. And I don't talk about electronics, but same thing you said for your actual boat. You know, your first time going out in your kayak, don't bring fishing stuff. Just go out and paddle in your kayak, you know, and, and get used to the kayak that you have. I think the first time I took my kayak out, I think I brought, like, two rods and a small little, like, tackle tray with me. I mean, now you want to see what I roll with (laughs) in my rig. It's like (laughs) half my house is out there with me. You know, there's, there's nothing that I don't need that doesn't go with me, but you know, for a beginner, first time getting out again, keep it simple. That's the best way to do it.
0: Sure. I guess that kind of will lead into my next question. Outfitting that thing. I mean, obviously, like you said, you're going out there basic. So I'm assuming a a paddle, right? You know, kayak paddle, or are you thinking, well, maybe a pedal drive. Can, Can your boat take a pedal drive? Can it not, um, well electric motor
2: yeah what i was gonna say um i guess it. this is actually something um i've done on my youtube channel i did a video exactly on this it's basically like my like five things that every beginner needs to get into kayak fishing and it's super super simple and i know a lot of times you're gonna think more advanced than it actually is it first off you obviously need a suitable kayak okay what is a suitable kayak to me, if it's a fishing situation, I recommend it being a sit-on-top style. I know sometimes people aren't comfortable sit-on-top, and you, you know you feel safer like inside. The sit-on-tops are just made for fishing better than the sit-insides. Can you fish out of a two hundred dollar, you know, hardware store special kayak? Absolutely, you can. It's comfort, and that's really the thing with any kayak and really anything in life. Think about it: like, what are you paying for? You're paying for comfort. Like the more expensive for something, are you really getting more or is it just a little more comfortable to use? You know, and kayaks are specifically that. You know, you look at the top end of kayaks, you've got, you know, like the Hobie Pro Angler 14s. So those things run like so, sort of a six, $7,000 just for the kayak, okay? That's a lot of money for a beginner to get into investment. You don't need to invest that much. Um, I will say specifically the kayak that I run, I run Lightning Strike. They're a small kayak manufacturer out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I kind of strategically starting with the kayaks, but really they're a, a team that got together and they built a boat. That's basically the combination between a Hobie pro angler and a Hobie outback. So they kind of got rid of some of the stuff you don't need to cut some caught. It, it's a really awesome, really stable boat. Um, when they first launched on the market, you could get them for like 1200 when they did their first, like Indiegogo campaign. Um, when I got mine, they were up to like 1700. Now I think it's about two grand. Um, they've got a new kayak, that they're launching. Um, right now they've just started another like Indiegogo campaign with it that they've got a really sweet deal where you can get into one of the new ones, which I think they I don't want to say dumbed down in a bad way, but I think they actually made a better boat. This might be better than the strike. And I think it starts at like seventeen fifty if you go and pick it up. You know, like we're in you know the Milwaukee or if I drove to Minneapolis and picked it up like seventeen fifty. I think that we got Milwaukee or they've got Minneapolis, Houston, and somewhere out east they've got three different spots where you could go drive to pick up kayaks but first off suitable kayak that's absolutely what you need um there's a lot of great right ones out there on the market like i said just make sure i would say if you're going to be fishing be a sit on top style then obviously you need a way to get around so is that going to be a paddle are you going to be actually paddling with your arms to get around or are you gonna be like me i've got a, a pedal style so there's two different styles there with pedal mine is just like the hobie you know it's basically the original gen one hobie mirage drive where you know i pick my feet back and forth and underwater it's like two fins that operates like a penguin so how penguins swim so they just you know use their fins that's how these kayaks move then you've got the pedal like that you pedal like a bicycle that's got the little propeller that goes into water um, trying to think someone's that all had the pe- uh what was it the old towns I believe of the pedal the uh the Jacksons have the pedal I think Jacksons have the the, the prop style too um basically Hobie and Lightning, and there's one other one, Kudu, have the, like, pedal style like I do, where it's like the penguin fins. I think those are the better ones in vegetation. Now, the Hobie drive, they've got, like, the the 180, reverse. Mine doesn't have the reverse on it because it's the Gen 1 version of that drive. So, like, having reverse, I think, can be nice. I wish I did, but I, a lot of times, am fishing in around grass and around weeds. And to me, those prop style ones, anyone who I know that has the prop styles, they kind of suck in that. Like, they just get weeds and stuff built up in them. You pull it up and pull it off and then put your back down. Uh, that ones, just get through vegetation more. So if you're someone that's going to be going through vegetation, I'd recommend that. Or just do the, the paddling. But I will say again, when it comes to spending money, it's more comfort. Yes, you can paddle and still catch fish. But I will tell you, it's a lot more comfortable, a lot easier to use your feet to pedal and have two hands to cast and do whatever and not have to worry about it. You could add motors on and stuff like that later, but that, that's to me, that's not even that's advanced. That's not even the basics. So suitable kayak a paddle way to get around with its paddle or foot pedals, whatever. And then obviously PFD personal flotation device. I know as a, a tournament angler, we're required that we have to wear a PFD at all times when we're practicing during the entire tournament. If we're caught like during a tournament without our PFD on, you're going to get disqualified. Like you have to wear a PFD and it, I actually just scrolled through Instagram earlier today. Uh, another guy that I know from the Midwest here, uh, I believe he's down in Missouri fishing Lake Norman for the all American kayak classic this weekend, his morning today started out getting wet. Luckily he didn't dump and like lose anything, but he was wet and said, basically thanks to have my PFD that I was able to get out. And you know, the only damage was wet clothes in 59 degree water, which think about 59 degrees. It's, it's pretty cold, That'll you know, if I can kick in real quick.
0: What's that? It'll take your breath away for sure.
2: It'll uh, it'll Let's shrink a few things very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it that
1: way. Shrinkage.
2: <laughs> yeah, so uh, suitable kayak, way to get around, PFD. The other thing that I was wondering I think people don't think about is a way to transport your kayak. And I'm not saying, like, get it from your house to the lake. How are you going to get it from your vehicle into the lake? That's something a lot of people don't think about. You know, I, I would say you're investing money in something. I don't want to drag my kayak all over the place and really damage it up. I know there is some guys that do it, and, you know, they're, they're made to be drugged a little bit, but I want to protect my investment as much as possible. I don't want to be dragging it across the parking lot. I only not be dragging it across gravel. I, I want to take care of it. So that's where you need to look at some sort of kayak cart, some transportation to get. So I use uh, the Railblade as a tug cart. So it's got like two little cradles on it, you know, wheels on the ground, straps around the top. What's great about the Railblazer that I like, again, not sponsored, not, but the fact that it can be used on canoes, any like it literally fits anything. You know, if I want to pull a canoe, I can take that same cart that I roll my kayak around, throw it under a canoe, wheel a canoe around. I, I think Railblazer made a real cool product. There's lots out there. Catch now has got a new cart that they've made. I know Yak Attack just released a cart that they made that fits kind of in the Little bunks, as I call them, underneath because a lot of these, you know, fishing kayaks are kind of a tri-hull design. That's what makes them so stable to stand in. I mean, I spend probably eighty-five percent of my time standing in my kayak. I'm like the only time I'm sitting is when I'm sitting down to like grab a rod, to grab gear, or to like move around because I'm, you know, motoring or pedaling. Otherwise, I'm standing all the time. I'm a I'm a standing fish person. So, way to get it to the water. You could trailer it straight in. I know there's a lot of guys, especially with the you know, high-rank kayaks, they just sit in the trailers and just dump them in like a boat. I Like I said, I used to roof rack and carry mine on top of my Ford Escape. Now I set mine in the back of my truck. But I still you know, put it in the back of my truck. Before I pull it out, I pull it a couple inches off. I strap my rail blazer on it. I pull it off the rack, set it onto the rail blazer so I'm not like scratching the back of my kayak into the parking lot. Grab the front, pull it around, set it down, load up all my stuff. I wheel right to the lake. I put it in the water. I jump. I jump. Usually wheel a little bit into the water. I pull my rail blaze off the back, throw it on the very back of my kayak. I jump in, I'm off and on the go. Same thing when I come back, I come right up to launch, I jump out, pull it off, strap it on the bottom. I wheel it right up the ramp and out I go. Like, so have your transportation to and from the lake, not just your house, like your vehicle to the lake. That's another thing you got to think of. And then safety gear. I mentioned PFD. It's not required everywhere, but having a flag a safety flag, and a 360 light. I know most places, the 360 light is required if you're on the water after dark. Like, I know, again, with Austin tournaments, we have to have a 360 light if we're on the water in the dark. Um, navigation lights are only required if you have a motor, okay? So, like, I would say don't. If you're, like, first getting a kayak or whatever, and you're like, oh, I've to have the safety lights, you know, don't put your red and green navigation lights on the front of your kayak if you don't have a motor on it. Because as a boater... I see those navigation lights and I assume that you're a vessel under power. And so that becomes a safety thing where you're like, okay, well, they have the right of way I have the right of way I can go. But if it turns out you get closer and realize that's not a vessel that's under power, that could be a bad situation for you in a kayak. You're out there in the dark. So if you don't have a motor on your kayak and you're not legally required to have navigation lights, I would not do that because of the safety. So those are my five things, a suitable kayak, something that's, you know, going to be able to get you on the water that's going to allow you to fish, keep you safe. Paddle, whether it's, you know, an actual paddle to paddle around, your pedals, just your way to get around the water, your personal flotation device, way to get your kayak to and from the water, and then your your, your safety stuff. I mean, literally the safety flags, you could go out and drop 80 bucks, you know, for like the yak attack birds up out there. I made mine out of PVC pipe. Like, I know as, as a podcast, it sucks to be able to show, like, when you're, but like, I literally have, this is, Half-inch PVC, you know, and I built my own little drive thing. It fits work right into my gear track. It's just the PVC, and I've got, you know, my flag I used to run, like, an orange flag. This year I decided I'm a pirate, so I'm flying the uh, – I'm a big Kenny <laughs> Chesney fan, so I fly the No Shoes Nation flag because I'm a pirate. Um, my 360 light, to put it. This is literally, like, a USB-per, like, flashlight. Perfect, that I okay. put, like, a little canister on top with some – tin fo- like aluminum foil on both sides. This thing is like it is super bright on the water. And I just plugged in a cigarette lighter on the way to the lamp, power it up, and it literally snaps right in the top of that PVC and I'm off. This cost me what I think the most expensive part was this the light, which I think was like a buck fifty. I'm maybe maybe three fifty in on that safety flag. Which I've got a, a video of, again, shameless plug on my YouTube but making that as well. So any questions, boys? Sorry, I feel like I've just been like talking nonstop
0: that's the whole point it's your (laughs) we ask you the questions you're you're more of an expert about this so you can just go and and dump information and share that information with all of us and if we have questions we can wave at you stop you and ask a question but so far (laughs) you're giving you're giving a lot of good information and that's exactly what we need you to do so all good there but Matt, well, now's
2: the part where I ask uh, students, do you have any questions?
1: <laughs> I actually do. I want to jump back to, you were talking about your side imaging. So we do a lot of musky fishing on the boat with side imaging. It's very speed and direction, you know, dependent. How do you mm-hmm. maintain that when it's on a kayak?
2: Um, it's, it's a little tough. That's again, we're getting experience with knowing what you're reading, you know, and, and trying to watch it. You know, sometimes your image may, if you do veer off a little, you know, you you know, I think, to a bit as a kayaker, like, if you veered a bit, and if you see something that kind of looks weird, and, you know, I like, like an, and you look at side, and you're looking for shadows, and you, you, you basically see the shadows, but if you see the, the what should be the shadow kind of in a strange shape, usually that's because you veered a bit, you know, so I always try and watch the very top of my screen, and kind of see what's coming in there, less than looking back, you know, I think a lot of people spend so much time looking at side imaging, and looking at the whole screen, or looking at like, from the bottom half down, like, you've long passed that, like, that's, you know, it's, kind of like seeing exactly where you're at and keeping an eye on if something like pops up at the top of the screen is interesting, then keep watching that go down and then, you know, you know what's up. Like there was a situation this last term I was in where I was paddling along and I saw something like, Is that a brush pile? And then I look at my down and I'm like, boom, like I see a straight brush pile and I'm like immediately go, boop, boop, drop the spot there. I'm like, I need to come back to that later. I know where that is. It is a, uh, I will say if you ever end up at Sandcrest Lake in Illinois, I've got a really sweet brush pile off in about uh, fifteen feet of water that I guarantee you will load up on crappies on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Doesn't sound like a bad time. No. Well, that answers the question on on sight imaging. What's your yeah? F- it's it... go ahead. No, I'm going to let you go ahead.
2: No, I was just I was just going to say yeah. So it should me just you have to kind of be cognizant of what you're doing and know that your readouts are not going to be as great as they are in a boat now if you're consistently just just you know like when i noticed that fresh ball stuff i was on the run first thing in the morning to go to my spot that I was to start fishing for the day so i was at a consistent like rocking like three miles per hour just you know comfortably pedaling along so it's usually easier if you're just straight rolling you're just floating around out there you really can't rely on side imaging at all like down is much better but even then it's not the greatest you know you you can kind of notice something spin back around then drive over it if you want to take a second look at it but if you're just out there floating around yeah down inside side image is not actually that great in a kayak a boat it's much better because you're usually maintaining just a, a straight constant speed
0: fair enough so we know you love the bass fish. How many more tournaments do you have left this year?
2: Well, it depends how I do in the next couple. Um no, our <laughs> series runs um 5 tournaments and then four angler of the year. You drop your 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 worst one, so top 10 then makes the state championship and then like I mentioned the top 10 from the state um then make their way into the All American Kayak Classic, the um the, B, the, the BFL, we actually forgot we get into the BFL, or the, sorry, the KBF this year. So many acronyms for all these things. And then the top five from our state make the Bassmaster Kayak, but that's not until next year. So this year, minimum, I'm looking at five or six if I, you know, went out. So I've got four left in our series. We just had our first one, I said so this past weekend, down in St. Chris. Um, there's a couple of different – there's basically three big bass clubs in the state of Wisconsin, and that's – so the top ten – from each club get together if that's the state championship that's what you know gets those fastmaster and the, the kbf qualifications um one of the guys from the, one of their clubs keeps trying to talk me to come into to freelance and and jump in one of theirs too. um yet this summer so i i don't know i, I might actually jump in one of theirs they've got actually one coming up in a few weeks in door county again growing up there i've got a lot of experience in door county i fished a tournament up there last year which weather wrecked me on it but it was still a great tournament and I got a little juice up there, so I might decide to jump in that one just to have a little fun. And I, I was kind of hoping we'd get another, you know, Sturgeon Bay day because I always love getting a chance to get up there and and fish. And you know, whether it's bayside, lakeside, there's so much water up there to fish. And you know, you'd think in a kayak you can't get out there on the lake. Last year I fished lakeside. I I think to honestly, some of the bigger fish are lakeside than they actually are bayside.
0: I can honestly say I've seen some pretty giant smallmouth in the little. Bays and, and rivers that dump into the lakeside. Um, yeah, Door County, is Moonlight definitely... Bay. Uh, you know, you've got up in some, you know, Rowleys Bay, things like that. My
2: personal best actually was was actually Bayside, um, Little Sturgeon Bay, just inside there. Uh, it was two one, I believe, is what it was on the scale. So just it, over six pounder. That's 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 my PB smallmouth. So. They're bigger. There's much bigger in there. Believe me, I've, I've seen much bigger caught all over the, the Door County Peninsula.
0: Yeah, I mean, Door County's built for fishermen. There's always a place to get out of the wind somewhere, lakeside or bayside, and kayak's pretty handy because it doesn't take much to portage it someplace and, and drop it off, and you're fishing. No, and that's that's what's great too
2: about you know kayak bass fishing tournaments. You know, you get to do a bass tournament everybody's got to put in at the same ramp they got to go at the same time they got to come back to the same place kayak it's not that uh this last one that we had at San chris was because of permits with their dnr in illinois apparently only allowed like one tournament per launch so that was the only time that we've ever like all had to roll out from the same ramp but a lot of times it's any legal like publicly accessible ramp you can put in and if you put in and suddenly it's like this is not working you can pull out trailer it, truck it, whatever, and go anywhere else and re-put it again. Obviously, that takes away part of your, you know, you're giving up that fishing time for it, but it's kind of cool to be able to do that, which, you know, I mentioned last year, the one up at Sturgeon Bay, there's a couple guys that went into Little Sturgeon, got on the water, and they're like, it's just, it's so windy, it's so messy, even inside the bay, that they pulled out, and they threw it back in their trucks and they actually drove up and jumped in. And I think they put in in the Sawyer Harbor and just fished inside there. That was the only place that they could go lakes or Bayside to get out of the wind. So yeah, it's great to be able to do that, which is an interesting wrinkle. I think that adds into that because if you ever fish a tournament a boat, you can run around a lake a lot more, you know, you could put in one place, you can run as many miles as you want and get across a lake in a kayak. You can't do that. You know, even with motors, a lot of kayaks with motors on them, you're only running maybe five miles per hour. It's not that fast, really. So you've really got to be specific on the spot you're in. And if you're going to go places, you've got to plan how you're going to do it. You know, and that's really a big lesson that I think I learned last year. And I may say, I'll more so say I burned myself on it than learning it. But um, there was one of the Winnebago chain that. It was the Wolf and Fox Rivers, but the boundaries included all of, like, Winniconnie, Butamore. Basically went to the, the bridge right before Lake Winnebago in Oshkosh. And I knew everyone was going to be up in the Wolf River fishing smallmouth. You'd think smallmouth guy. I'm like, I'm going to jump in that. But I've got a lot of experience fishing actually in Winniconnie, and I've got some great areas there that I've caught some big bass. And I, I kind of thought of a plan. I'm like, I'm not going to go get in the traffic and fish, like, those, like, 14 to 17 inch smallmouth in the river if i can go in and catch like three decent largemouths and two dinks like i'm gonna win this thing and i had two main spots i wanted to get to the problem was the distance from one to the next was running north to south straight across the lake (laughs) to get to where i wanted to go which when i have my navionics app i actually type the wrong number that you know when you set your routes and you can see how long it's going to take you to get there um, I thought it was going to be like a 25 minute paddle. Turns out it was going to be closer to a 40 minute paddle, and so I kind of like killed my turn at making that run. I uh, went into my first spot and I lost five fish in there, and I caught one. And then I'm like, okay, I'm still going to stick with my plan. I'm running across the lake. This is not I, my plan was to go in, catch five, then make that run and fish for like at least one big kicker. But, I mean, I've caught some four and five pounders in the spot that I was running to. And it just didn't work out. So that's where I learned, like, this year. And that was, again, last year. I'm not fishing for Angler Deer. I was just in there swinging for the fences trying to win some stuff. You know, so you're going to take chances. You're going to do things you wouldn't normally do when you're being safer about it. But it was the lesson learned to be like, okay, this really shows that you can't do that far run. Like, it, it's going to hurt you trying to do that. Just stay where you are. Realistically, what I should have done, that first spot, I should have stuck with that. I should have made my whole run through that. And then came back through again, hoping that it reloaded, you know, do like a four hours through it, come back and start from scratch and finish, you know, cause it happens. You know, there was guys in our last tournament that were out there that said they caught all their fish with a 120 yard stretch. They'd run through it. They caught, you know, two, whatever, ran back to the top, ran back, caught another one, ran back, you know, and they ju- it just kept reloading for them where the fish just moved in that way. I, I did a, a similar approach, but instead of, fishing one area, I kind of ran up fishing area on it, and then I wanted to fish all the way back and fish the out of the wind banks because of maintaining control, which is another thing to think about when kayak fishing. To control your kayak in the wind, that's that's a challenge. And I will say even with pedal drive, it can be really tough. We were out there last week and it was twenty to thirty five mile hour winds. The best fishing was on the wind swept sides, you know, where the wind's blowing into the shore, which to be expected. But I knew that I was not going to be able to control my boat well enough to fish efficiently. I would have spent more time frustrated than fishing. And so I was just trying to pick apart what I could on the, you know, sort of, and let's face it, I was still in wind. <laughs> you were still getting blown around a lot anywhere you were on that lake. But the crazy part about my bite last weekend with that weather is I caught three fish. They're sort of really good fish, but I caught them all within about 35 minutes. And it was all while the sun was shining. The only time the sun was shining that day. And as soon as the sun went away, my butt shut off. And that's when all the fish were, in the banks that were, you know, getting the wind blown into them, I just couldn't fish it efficiently. So I had to keep just working what I did. So I just kept working, that trying to stay out of the wind as best as I could. You know, I, I did lose two fish also last weekend, but not anything I did. I think I was throwing some big swim baits at the time, and I think they just grabbed the tail. I mean, one of them grabbed the tail, and I know that that's what he did because got to the side of the boat. It's just about to net him, and I just watched him go open his mouth and just like let the bait go. So he never got hooks. He was just hanging on like. I want this. I want this. Cause I hit so close to the boat. The other one was on a, a five and a half inch X zone lures mega swammer. I was basically throwing it like just subsurface. That thing just slapped it so hard, but you, I know it was just a tail. Cause there was no chance to even set the hook on it. It was just a big push. And by the time I set, I'm like, there's nothing there. I'm like, Oh, he just grabbed the tail is all he did.
1: Yeah. Hey, I do have a question for you about tournament fishing. I fished uh, quite a few of the bass tournaments on boats and stuff. Where do you keep the fish? Do you have a cooler on there? Do you weigh them, measure them, send them back?
2: Kayak fishing is catch photo release. Um, This right here you're looking at, I know podcast sucks you can't see it. This is a catch board. All of the tournament series require a specific board. I think pretty much every one of them only accepts catch boards. Uh, Hog trough is another company that makes boards, but the catch brand is the only one that's accepted in all the major trails. Um, Actually, the Hobie Bass Open series will only accept. The metal version, uh, the aluminum catch boards. I run the the catch carbonate, which is the the plastic version. It's just it's lighter. Um, I like it just for my boat, and it's obviously cheaper than running the metal ones. The metal ones are like eighty bucks a pop. This is a what twenty six inch max, and I think this one was 30 dollars. But yeah, everything's catch photo release, so you've got to catch your fish. There's a certain way that you have to hold it onto the board. You know, you've got to have an identifier. So. Um, all of our tournaments are run through Turdy X, which is an app. Um, I'm trying to think. There's another. A fish Brain. Is that the other ones out there?
0: Yeah.
2: There's like two. There's like two or three out there that run. Fish um, Brain, but every
0: tournament. I think Fish Donkey is another one. Mm-hmm.
2: That's it. Fish Donkey. Yeah, Fish Donkey. Um, 3 a.m. before a tournament, we get released a code that we must write on our identifier that has to be in every photo. Every tournament, every person has their own identi you know, unique code. So this changes for every single tournament. Some like, you know, little like local, that's the cool thing. It's, there's like online tournaments. You want to just get into tournament fishing and not like actually compete and have like, you know, timing and that there's like month long tournaments. You just jump into like a national online month long, five biggest fish thing. A lot of those just write your number on your hand. You can have like Sharpie on your hand. As long as that number's in the photo, it's accepted. So, you know, like I said, there's basically you got to make sure that the fish's mouth is closed and touching the lip. Um, in order to assure for photo purposes that like tournament directors can see it. A lot of times guys will put stickers, you put a sticker on that inside lip. So like you can tell that the fish's mouth is actually touching the end of the board, you know, and then you've got to be able to see where it is on the the board is all the markings that are all the quarter inches. If you've got a fish that is like not quite say 17 and a half, just you could barely, but when it's sitting there, it won't touch 17 and a half. You gotta register at 17 a quarter. So everything goes back to the previous. If it doesn't clearly mark it, um, if you you know, you have to enter all your own fish. And I don't like bass track essentially that the pros do, but you know, they don't get knocked for improperly marking it. If you improperly mark one, you may incur a small penalty for things. Uh, but yeah, everything's catch, photo, release. So there's no worries about live bulls, none of that stuff. It's it, it's awesome. And, you know, I I'm glad I, I don't know why I didn't click in my head, but like those national like little month-long term things, it's a great way for someone that's just like is like thinking about Wanting to fish, and you could do that in your, your hardware special kayak. You don't have to. And a lot of those entry fees are like $20, 25 bucks tops. You know, I mean, m- most of mine. We're talking we're close to hundred bucks in per tournament. Um, all the national ones, like I know, the Bass Masters, like two fifty a tournament, which is no nothing compared to like boat, I mean, boat tournaments. You're, you know, usually two fifty is a co angler fee. Yeah. You know,
1: like three hundred bucks was what we were doing. So th- that goes strictly by length. Then there's no weight measurement. So it's No, nope, it is just strictly fish.
2: Yep. Okay. My my biggest fish last weekend was um was it 18 and a half. It was easily, easily over four pounds, pushing close to five, but it was just it was fat. And I when I got it, like netted, and I went to reach and pull it out, I'm like, this thing's gotta be twenty. It just had was just giant heads. <laughs> you know, you know what like a giant bass head is like? I'm like, this is a monster. And I pull up my set on the board and I'm like, this thing's barely over eighteen? I'm like, there's no way. But like looking at the fish in my board, the fish is like sticking off the board, like I don't know, four inches on both sides. Like it was just that oblong, fat, huge football thing that was obviously a pre spawn. So yeah, it, it is nice not for about weight, worry about length. So I don't care if I catch a scrawny one if it's long, awesome. That's better for me.
1: So it's almost like ice tournament setup. Then they don't go off a weight; they go off a length yeah. of fish, stuff like that. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. It's a lot safer for the fish too. So I know there's a lot of live well casualties, and you know there's all stuff you can get to put in there and all that. But it's I don't know, it's putting Band-Aid on a on a trauma wound. So
2: yeah, it's super quick and easy. I mean, I catch a fish, I get it in net. You know, I can leave the net sitting in the water next to me. You know, leave it there. Um, some people will use like fish grips. You know, just like you have like on your scales or whatever. Like, or you know, say your uh, are calling river. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it clips on the lip. The other one clips like somewhere in your kayak, and you just let it kind of float there, you know, clipped on. And then when you get all your stuff ready, then you pull it out and measure it. Like I just do the net. That's quick enough. My board, everything's so accessible. Like I, again, talk about practice. Like I went out for you know a couple times going out and just kind of get practice. I was measuring fish and taking pictures like I was in a tournament, just to just to get used to it. So now it's like quick net. All right, let's sit there for a sec. Pull the board out. Set it down. I can grab. Ready to rock and roll. It, it makes it super quick, super easy to, you know, maybe maybe 60 seconds that fish is out of the water when I'm trying to take photos and send it off. I take multiple photos of a fish. Just in and case. The other thing, if you're getting into, exactly, just just in case, make sure it's perfect. Or you may have one photo where, like, you can clearly see that it's, you know, 17 and three quarters, but the next one, it's only 17 and a half. Well, obviously, you want the most length you can. So, you, you know, you quick go through. And I actually had one of the, when I fished that last week, like, took it, I'm like, some reason, I don't know if I, like, didn't hold it, it moved or something, and just, I'm like, no, it, it was longer than this. And then, like, I reset it, and I'm like, oh, there it is, okay. So I take at least three photos of every fish. Um, I try and enter them right away at the time. Um, last year, I was not doing that. I would, like, take them, and I was kind of doing the sandbag thing where I'd get all my fish and then, like, on the way in and enter them. So you, you can, you don't have to enter them right there when you catch them. Like, um, a lot of people who have been following along. Some of my tournaments, lately, you know, my good buddy, John Resnick, who actually works for Climb Pro Tackle, you know, he's, you know, kinda of big fan and always root me on and stuff. So I've been trying to enter things more because you can follow along, you know, these tournaments via Tourney X. Just like, you know, if you watch Bass Track and Bassmaster for their tournaments, Tourney X app or whatever it works the same way. You can follow along and see what people have entered and where people are at throughout a tournament. While I'm actually fishing, I never look at the leaderboard. I I, I it's just it's not it's not me. I don't care. Like I know what I caught. I don't you know, I just feel like they put more pressure on me to see what other people are doing. I'd rather just fish my fish. You know, that's kind of a, a slogan that I've taken for a lot of things in my life of just like you do you, you be you. You know, everyone's different. Do your own thing. Fish your fish. You know, that's my wife tells me every time before I go. She's like, babe, just go fish your fish. And that's, that. I'm getting all philosophical
0: now, but fish your <laughs> fish. Well, I certainly don't like the idea of leaving fish to find other fish if I'm already on them. So it makes perfect sense to me.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, the part of the idea of like fish your fish, a lot of times comes from don't try and do something. Doc talk, you know, you hear so-and-so's catching it doing this. Like, and so you try and do that. It's, It's not your thing. Maybe you're not good at that technique. Maybe you're not good. Maybe you're not good at finding the nuance that they found, but you had something else working for you. Fish your fish. Don't, don't try and do something someone else is doing. You know, like I will say straight up, I'm trying to be better at fishing with a jig. I am not a like jig fishing guy. I hate it. It's just too slow and methodical. It's not me. I'm a power fisherman. I am you give me a bladed jig, you give me a big swim bait, you give me a spinner bait, I will just I will pound it and rock it fast. But if I gotta sit and slow there and be all finessey, outside of a drop shot, I am not a finesse slow fisherman. I like to just hammer it. I'm looking for reaction strikes. I wanna piss him off and make him hit my bait. I don't wanna romance
0: them. see and I could probably learn something from you because I'm smaller jigs lighter lighter tackle everything finesse bait but that's how I like to fish for smallmouth and I'll get largemouth obviously while doing that so I think yeah. this is a, a pretty good way to bring the plane in for a landing but before I do that do you have I'm sure we, you have a few but one really good okayist fishing moment where you felt okay about yourself not great about yourself <laughs> <laughs> and we kind of talked about the tournament
2: situation last year where i just like i basically just cashed myself on you know making the mistakes of things um oh boy okay mo- that's that's actually a tough one for me because i feel like we've all had so many of those just like silly stupid moments you know whether it's just recently i'm out in the wind doing something i I dropped my gopro in the water thankfully it it was not fried i don't know how i got lucky enough to save that i'm like oh there's 300 dollars gone what a dumb (laughs) moment that was on me you know like stupid moron um i mean there's been the the obvious dropping your rod i mean i did almost lose a rod last weekend i'm busy futzing around like trying to get the fish and go to weigh a fish And next thing you know like i thought i set my rod like up on the front of my kayak i felt like drifting away And next thing you know like Thankfully, the lure was still in the boat. And it like caught in my seat, and I'm like, "There's my rod, like in the water, like down off the boat." Um, I've done that with my net quite a few times, where I've just like dropped my net, and the next thing i was floating away. That's why I have a floating net because I could easily, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, that that's definitely the biggest thing. When I mean, you get a fish in the boat, sometimes you just kind of like you're so focused on doing one thing, you all those like, things happen around you. Just what you know, like, yeah, that's that I can think of the closest. You know, other than, like, you know, casting into trees and crap like that. But, you know, if you're not fishing and getting stuck in the bushes, you're not fishing where the fish are. So everybody's going to have those moments.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's good that you recognize you have those moments, but you have a short memory with them. Why, why sit and dwell on them? Move on, go fish your That's fish. just it. Go fish your fish.
2: Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you all, like, this this like we were out for this first tournament was un-friggin' real. Like, every fish – I went about practice. I had two hours of practice the night before for this tournament. That's all I had. And uh, this is a lake that I never heard of until this schedule dropped. <laughs> like, so I know nothing. I'm going to completely blind. I was looking for a clue and I went into practice for it, trying to figure out. Like, I'm thinking, like, okay, are they pre spawn or spawn. You know, we're in like southern Illinois. I'm thinking they probably still going to pre spawn. Water temps were around that like 57, 59. The like warmest water in very few spots might have got up to 60. The weather was super cold, so I thought, like, I don't think they're up shallow. I, I think they're going to be, like, kind of hanging, like, in, in that, like, 10-foot range, kind of still at staging. So I'm going to practice, like, I'm going to throw jerkbait, I'm going to play around, just see if I can find something out here, whether it's, like, get something or I see something in imaging. And there's was, like, kind of nothing. Like, okay, I'm sneak up in. And so I snuck up in shallow, and I had a fish that I missed right beside the boat. And I'm like, okay, they're in here. A little bit later on as I'm coming back to the launch, I'm falling look around shallow and I see a giant swimming like up close to shore. So I'm like, that's the new boom. It's shallow. That's my game plan for the morning. I'm changing the water was dirty. We're going light color. Like I got my whole plan off for of two hours. Um, but this lake, all of the shorelines and all, everything was like, imagine big brush piles that just pour over into the water and underwater is like still half of the tree. This is what every bit of the shoreline is. And all these fish were stuck in this. So it's almost like you had everything. Zing things into a tree as far as you could and try and get it out as quickly as you could without it getting caught in something. Like if you paused for a split second, you were like falling in next. I don't know what was happening underwater. Like this lake, I would love to go as a diver under there. You could open your own tackle shop. I guarantee with the baits that were (laughs) lost there. I luckily only lost one. I fished one bait, caught all my fish on it. The Berkeley slobber knocker coleslaw color with an Exxon lures. uh, Was it chartreuse white mini swammer? I fished that same bait all day, caught all five of my fish, the three that I got, the two that got off on that exact same bait, and like towards the end of the day, I cast it into something and I'm reeling and suddenly I thought I had a hit and like it's set, and like that's John. no, that's a tree. What I don't know how it <laughs> So, yeah. Anything you do, lakes are always gonna surprise you. So there's another those kind of like okay things, but like you just there's moments and things that happen that you can't explain.
0: What else can you do? Just keep fishing.
2: No, I, I just, just thought I'd bring it home with that story. You know, the, the other most unique experience I've ever had is fishing in West Virginia, um, fishing in treetops in 121 foot of water. Wow. Yeah, I said that correct. Treetops, <laughs> 120 foot of water. Wow. A weird, I mean, those, those southern reservoirs, man, it's crazy. Like, they would just flood out towns, essentially. You know, if you're familiar with the topography of the West Virginia, the mountains, like, you'll have that. Like, the bank you can literally cast and hit the bank and it's like six inches deep. You pull it like four foot off the bank. You're in like eight foot of water, pull another two inches, 120 foot. Like it was crazy. And I was in the catching spot bass all over the tops of trees. And I see like, you know, six foot of a tree sticking up out of the water. You pull up to it and you think like, oh, and you look in the graph, like that's 121 feet of water. Holy crap. That's a 127 foot tree <laughs> that I'm at the top of.
0: Awesome. Well, where can we find you? Where where can people find your your information, um, YouTube channel, your social outlets? Tell us where
2: to find Easiest you. Easiest uh, at the real Ritter. So at the R-E-E-L, like fishing reel. I'm tricky. Uh, and Ritter, R-I-D-D-E-R. So at the real Ritter. you go to Facebook slash, you know, the real Ritter, Instagram slash real Ritter, YouTube slash the real Ritter. It's all, you know. The real rudders. we're going to find anything with all of my fishing, whether it's, you know, the, the YouTube series Return to Wild, as we call it, you know, or just me being me doing some goofy stuff.
0: Perfect. Sounds right up our alley. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you. Uh, go follow us on Instagram.
1: We'd love to see you. Anything you got, man? Yeah, reach out. What you guys want to hear next? Yeah. By
0: all means, hit us up.